Seeking for the help of the Lord, I direct your prayer for attention to James chapter 4 and reading for our text, verse 7. Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. James chapter 4 and verse 7. Right from the very beginning, when Satan came to Eve and tempted her to turn from the commandment of God and to take the forbidden fruit, there has been the enmity that has been between the seed of the woman and Satan's seed. The adversary is always against God and the people of God. We read in Peter, your adversary, the devil. And really throughout life for God's children, they will know something of the relationship with God and relationship with the devil. In unregeneracy, at peace with hell, with God at war. When called by grace, then they have the adversary against them and how they react to him and how they react to God is very, very important. And that is really what is in our text. It is our reaction to God, submission to God, and our reaction to Satan and his temptations, which is to resist him. And that will be known by the children of God right through their lives, right through their experience. I want to look this afternoon firstly at the therefore, the reason, the reason why we should submit to God and why we should resist the devil. Our text says, submit yourselves therefore to God and it joins what has gone before, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, really the gospel of our Lord. And then we have the two exhortations. In our second point, submitting to God and in the third, resisting the devil. Whenever the Lord gives an exhortation, warnings to his people, there will always be a foundation to it, a reason why they are to do as he's exhorting them to do. My mind goes to the account of the book of Esther. When through Haman there had been the decree made that all the Jews should be destroyed on a certain day. Then the Jews had great sadness that that should be so. The decree had come from the king. He had signed that decree. Later on, there was another decree made. It didn't disannul the first, the first still stood. But in that second decree, it gave permission from the king for the Jews to stand up and resist, fight against all that would fight against them. There was still the first decree there was still going to be those rise up against them. The day was still coming 
But we read that the the Jews then had great joy and great gladness. What was the difference? Now they had the king on their side. Now they had authority to rise up and to resist and to fight. And we have that through our Lord Jesus Christ, the authority to stand against Satan. And it comes because of that first promise. The seed of the woman should bruise the serpent's head. The hymn says, Our captain stood the fiery test, and we shall stand through him. All what the Lord would speak to his dear people to do is all based on what he has done, what he has accomplished. At Calvary, our Lord Jesus Christ suffered. In that sense, his heel was bruised. It was not without cost, great cost, of what the Lord went through to deal a head blow, a death blow, to Satan, to take away his power, take away his authority, take away that sentence of death for the people of God, to give unto them eternal life. No man is able to pluck them out of mine hand. And Satan, not able to take those that are purchased with the precious blood of Christ. When Christ died, then the accuser of the brethren was cast down, who accused them night and day. What did he accuse them of? All of those brethren from Abel's day unto Christ that they were in heaven, that they had been saved, but the blood had not yet been shed. It was all upon promise. If we were to go to a shop, and especially if it was to be buying things that are consumables, food or something like that, we say to the shopkeeper, I promise to pay you for these. You don't pay, you take them home, you eat them, they're gone. He can't take it back, but you haven't paid yet. And people could accuse you, you've had, you've been eating at this shopkeeper's expense and, and you haven't paid anything, so, but I promise to. Of course, we sometimes can't fulfil our promises. But our Lord promised that he would pay the debt, he would come, he would take the punishment due to his people He would suffer, he would shed his blood so that theirs be not shed. The redemption price would be paid. And all through the Old Testament showed in types and shadows that this promise stood still. You know, if there is ever a reason why in these gospel days, when the gospel is preached, we can rely on the promises of God, is to just think of that first promise in Eden And how many years went by, how much happened, but the promised seed came and he did what he said he would do and he rose from the dead and that power of Satan taken away. The great power of the Holy Spirit, the authority given from God and the great miracle, a greater miracle, you know, in the Early church, you have the instance of the man that was lame from his birth, carried for 40 years into the temple. And Peter came in and he healed him through our Lord Jesus Christ. Instant healing is leaping, jumping, praising God. Something you could never perform medically, even today. Just an instant healing. And... When that, is, that happened, then they all came running to, together to see what had happened. And Peter was able to preach to them the gospel. And many were brought to believe and to be saved. And we say that is a greater miracle that souls were saved and plucked from Satan, from his kingdom to God's kingdom, than that man that was made to walk. Because Paul tells us in Ephesians, 
chapter 1, he tells the Ephesians that the same power is wrought in them that believed as what raised Christ from the dead. It is a power of God that quickens a soul into divine life. And it needs authority from God that it should be so. It needs the payment, it needs the price paid and settled. And Satan had to be dealt with. And justice needed to be satisfied. And the payment paid. And that was done. He know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be made rich. And so we read in the verses before our text, But he giveth more grace, whereby he saith God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. There's saving grace. There's grace to help in time of need. There's grace to be imparted to the people of God so that they live gracious, kind, godly lives. That which we don't have ourselves. Learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, ye shall find rest unto your souls. So there is a therefore, there is what goes before God dealing with Satan, God dealing with sin, God meeting the price of redemption for his people is the foundation for all that he says and all that he exhorts his people to do. He has accomplished, he has fought the fine and he gives his dear people that authority to do the same. There's two sides to it, and that is what is in our text. But this first point, this therefore, and you'll find it many, many times in the Word of God, that there's a truth of God set forth, and then joined to it, there's a therefore. Because this has happened, because God has done this, then these things can happen. We think of in the revelation of those that are before the throne, those that came out of great tribulation, they washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore are they before the throne. That is why, that is the reason why they are there. All of what God has done will have fruits flowing out of it. There will be an effect. My word shall not return unto me void. It shall accomplish the thing whereto I sent it. Our God does not waste his energies, waste his work. He has a purpose, an effect, and his word will come to pass. In the creation he spake and it was done, it was effectual. And in all what the Lord does, in all his will, in all his works, his word is powerful, his work is effectual. So I want to look at the exhortations of this text. The first is a submitting ourselves to God. Submit yourselves therefore to God. That is something that our first parents did not do. God had given them the commands. He'd given them what they could eat and what they should not eat. Yet they did not submit to going with his commands and his directions, but rebelled against it. And so in the submitting, it is a putting ourselves under God. How different that was with Pharaoh. Who is the Lord that I should serve him? And he would not submit 
again and again he refused to let the children of Israel go. And the Lord sent one plague after another that all the earth might know the power of God and God's might. What a difference it would have been if he had submitted to it. We think of Naaman the Syrian. He was a leper. He wanted to be healed. The servant maid pointed him to the prophet that was in Samaria. He went to Samaria. He went to the king first and then he was directed to the prophet. But he had in his own mind how he should be healed. And it wasn't like that. So at first he would not submit to what Elisha told him to do. To go to the river Jordan and to dip seven times. And he says, I thought that he would surely come out himself. He'd only send a servant. And that something dramatic would be done. And he wondered why the waters that were in Syria, Damascus, weren't they better than Jordan? Why did it have to be Jordan? And he went away in a rage. If he'd have remained like that, in a rage, not submitting to the simple directions of the Lord through his servant, he would not have been healed. But his servants came and they reasoned with him. And really their whole aim of talking to him was this, submit. Do, do what has been told you to do. And he did. And he washed in Jordan, dipped seven times and came his flesh as a little child. In spite of his rebellings first, when he submitted, the blessing was upon him. How easy we can do the same. We can pit our own thoughts as to what is right against the Lord's. Or like our first parents, what Satan says is right against the Lord's. And instead of bowing before the Lord and laying aside our reasoning and our way, submit to the Lord's way. No doubt as children, there's many times you have a practice of submitting when your parents want you to do one thing you want to do another. How easy it is, especially when we get to teens, to not want to submit. We want to do our own way. And it's a hard thing to actually do then what is required by the parent instead of what you want to do. And it is a bowing before authority. It's submitting to one who has an authority over you and to doing what they are asking you to do, not what you perhaps are wanting to do. We hear the exhortation is submitting yourselves therefore to God. Submitting to God. Submitting to his sovereignty. Shall not the God of all the earth do right? Who is he that saith and cometh to pass when the Lord commandeth it not? Sometimes before it comes as a submitting to God's sovereignty ourselves, we can find it a struggle to submit to his sovereignty over others. We might hear of someone that has had a terrible illness or an accident, a so-called a car accident, or something has happened in their lives. And I've known those who have made profession of faith And that faith has been completely lost. It's been a cause of them turning aside from their profession, even though baptised, because of something that has happened to another. In one case, uh, it was a 
member of the church that they were at, she got murdered. And the reaction of that other member was, if God can permit that and allow that to happen, I don't want this God. And it proved their faith faith completely wrong. And we can hear things. We can hear things in the news. We can have things that happen. They're not us, but we see God sovereignly doing them in the earth. And we find our hearts rising up as if we do not want God to have a sovereign right to do what he will with his people and with the world. God is the ruler over all of the earth. Man will bring God to his bar and say, we have the standard of what is morally right and you don't come up to that standard and they blame God. They go against God for that. And it is a submitting first to God as having an absolute sovereign right. We lost any anything that we had to stand before God when the sentence of death was passed upon us. If you were to go to those on death row in some American prisons where they had committed murder and where they were sentenced to death, they lost all of their right to life. They, under the sentence of death, by, by that which they had done, God said, in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. And everything that we received out of a deserved hell is a mercy of God. The reason why so many find it so hard to submit, because they start off with a, I deserve this. And if God gives me that, then he's a terrible God because I'm a good person, I'm a charitable person and I deserve better than that. And very often we can think, and someone else, look at what they've done and they're doing and I'm doing so much better. And it's all the time the idea that we deserve something good at the hand of God. But when we realise that as sinners, the word says that the law was given, that all the world might be brought in guilty before God. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none that doeth good, no, not one. It is that we are all under condemnation. The beautiful word in Romans 8 verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus can have the opposite. Outside of Christ we are under condemnation. We have the sentence of death upon us. And the Lord is sovereign as to who he saves and who he does not, what he does in the earth, how he does it. He didn't need to bring any way of salvation. He didn't need to give any promise as he did to our first parents. He didn't need to, but he did. The Lord sovereignly did so. None can stay his hand and say unto him, What doest thou? We need to be very mindful of the way our hearts react to the sovereignty of God. Then there is the word of God, the Bible as we have it, from Genesis to Revelation. A more sure word of prophecy, whereunto you do well to take heed. All scripture given by inspiration of God. This is the only word of God to man. This is our authority. No supposed words given to religious people that go against the word of God should hold any weight at all should never ever be believed or given any countenance at all. The Lord warned the children of Israel in Deuteronomy about those that rose up in their midst that even brought things to pass, miracles came to pass. He said that 
if they were then to, by those miracles, turn them away from the true and living God and away from his word, they were not to follow them. The Lord gave those people power to do those miracles and to do those things to test the children of Israel whether they would believe the word or not. And of course, the Lord said to the, in the account of rich, the Lazarus and the rich man, when the rich man wanted a miracle to be sent, as one sent from the dead, Lazarus sent to his brethren, lest they come into this place of torment. The Lord said they have Moses and the prophets. If they believe them, not, neither will they believe, though one rose from the dead. And he has exalted his word above all his name. He says, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. To the law and to the testimony, that's what must be. And the scriptures are of no private interpretation. We're not to be like uh, some that would take part of the word, suit it to what they want, uh, and say it, it, it furthers their cause. Like the thief that the judge said to, he said, don't you know that in the word of God it says, thou shalt not steal. He says, yeah, but he says, I've no, uh, he said, yes, I know it says, thou shalt steal. And the judge says, no, he said, thou shalt not steal. He said, I've no use for that word, not. And so he just dropped that word out and made all the difference, just changed the whole meaning completely. And we can be the same as well, but Peter tells us, no private interpretation. The word tells us what God means to tell us. It has a message, one message, a message that we are, especially in the ministry, to discern what that message is and not put words in the Lord's mouth as what we think it should mean. And so it is submitting to the word of God Comparing scripture with scripture, that is absolutely vital. You may mention that again later. One thing I'll mention regarding submitting ourselves to God. We use the illustration with your children, your parents, and you might be told, well, go up and, and clean your room and you don't want to, you'd rather go out and play, you say, all right then, I'll go and clean it. You go up to your room and bang, crash, and you're in a bad mood, and you, you might say, well, you're submitted, you're cleaning the room, but your spirit is really angry. You don't want to do it. So in one sense, you might say you're submitting by actually doing it, but the spirit is wrong. The spirit that you're doing it in is not in a submissive, willing spirit. And we need to be very careful on that, that we don't actually do something, but it is in a completely wrong spirit, especially in submission. The submission to the word. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. It is submitting to the will of God. You might say, well, how is that different to the sovereignty of God. For the will of God is that which is recorded in the word of God and it's that which is unfolded in providence. Providence unfolds the book and makes his counsels shine. In this chapter, at the end of it, we read about those that say we'll go into a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. And that ye ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. In another place, Paul, he uses this word, if God permit. If God permit. Puts it in a slightly different way, doesn't it? You know, when we make engagements, when we have special services, usually put, if the Lord will. I wonder how many of us in business 
when we are making arrangements with the world that knows not God, we'll do the same. The world gets used to it when they're used to getting emails from you or letters from you and you still use the same language to them as to the church. You still put, if the Lord will. They don't understand it, but it is honouring to God that we do. Quite often in our lives we put compartments. We use a certain language amongst the people of God and we use a different language before the world. But we're to be salt and light and to be acknowledging the Lord. Does the Lord only have his will, if the Lord will, when it is something to do with our churches or our religion or our faith? Or does that apply to our job, our schooling? If the Lord permit, it's a good word to think of because sometimes when we've made arrangements, when we had a preaching engagement and we've been sick, we've been unwell or the car has broken down, you might say the Lord has not permitted it. If the Lord permitted it, it would be so. And sometimes it can be a great comfort where we may be very tried, tempted in, in our minds, and the Lord does permit it. And, and especially I, I feel in, in, in the ministry sometimes that, well, I have been brought here. I have been given health and strength. I have been given the word. And... and we may think how easy the Lord could have stopped it. Maybe something that has happened in their lives and you get reminded that the Lord could so easy stop and hinder. And so it is a submitting to the will of God when the Lord's will is different to ours. I think Paul was talking uh, about one of the brethren coming to him and he wanted him to come. I forget who it was now. But he uses the word, but it was not at all his will. Uh, and the brother wouldn't, wouldn't come. And you might say, well, does he surpass the will of the Lord? Well, in providence, it's got to be both sides, isn't it? We might say, I like that job. I want that job. The position is advertised, but the boss doesn't offer it to you. He gives it to someone else. You say, well, that was the boss. That was his will. He was choosing who to give it to. But when we look above that and we see the Lord's hand, and we see that's his will, and what the Lord has done through another, those submitting to the will of God, Maybe you've got things in your life already as you come this afternoon. Or maybe there would be things in the next week that you will have to submit to or be set before you and your heart will resist and not like that. But here is the exhortation for the people of God to submit to God. Submit to his providence to what the Lord orders, to bow before it. I often marvel that Joseph's spirit in all the things that Joseph went through. You know, the Lord was with him, but what a submissive spirit and how vital that we bow before the Lord. I marvel that Aaron, when his two sons were smitten before the Lord because they offered strange fire. You imagine as a father seeing two sons killed before the Lord. And we read Aaron, he held his peace. He held his peace. How easy he could have been angry with the Lord. Fight against the Lord. And yet he was submissive to it. What about submissive to the way the Lord saves his people? The word is very clear. By grace ye are saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. How easy it is to say, I want a different way of being saved. I'd rather be able to put my hand to it. Our natural flesh always wants to do something. 
That is all the religions of the world is do. Something in our hand, our control. Paul says of those in Romans 10, his countrymen, ignorant of God's righteousness, going about to establish their own righteousness and have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. Have not submitted to the gospel to be willing to be saved by grace, willing to be saved by another's work and what another has done and another has accomplished and all the time you're wanting to be able to earn it, to pay for it. It's like someone being given given something uh, very expensive, just given it. And they turn around and say, Look, I, I want to put something towards that. And you think, well, what is a thousand pounds towards something that's worth 19,000 pounds? But there's all that, that, that desire is to be able to have some part in it, to deserve it in some way. And so it is in the way of grace, except we receive the salvation of God as a hell-deserving sinner upon the ground of mercy and grace, we will not receive it at all. Not of works, lest any man should boast. And yet by nature we all the time rise up against this. We do not want to be as sinners. One of our hymns, I think it's 710, it says about this state and condition of our own heart, nor are men willing to have the truth told. The sight is too killing for pride to behold. Men do not like, we do not by nature, like to submit to be told that we are hell-deserving sinners and we need mercy, that God is just to condemn us to hell and to sentence us to eternal banishment. And when he sets before us salvation that's completely free, then even that we we resist. We do not want it free. We want it at cost. We want to be able to pay for it. And so it's vital when we have submit yourselves to God that he is submitting to his plan of salvation through grace alone, through Christ's work on Calvary's cross. There's also a submitting to the ordinances of God. Baptism, the Lord's Supper. Yes, do in remembrance of me. And interestingly, in my case, when the Lord blessed my soul, it was the ordinance of the Lord's Supper that was made most attractive to me because that so set forth the blessing that I'd had and I so desired. And it was through the words of Mr Oldham in one of the cheering words I was reading in me in the lunch hour at, at work under that blessing that I'd had. Why think you humble, why do you hesitate, humble believer, to partake of the emblems of Christ's dying love? Why do you hesitate? What think you of them? And I knew what I thought of them because they so beautifully set forth his shed blood, his broken body. But I knew from the word of God that the way to the Lord's table was baptism. And that is what then was used to bring me to baptism. And it is seeing the Lord's order and submissive to that order, submissive to his way. John, he said to our Lord, I have need to be baptised of thee. But the Lord says, suffer it to be so now. And then he suffered him. He submitted to, to doing it. But may we also, if we have been blessed, with this Spirit opening up the way of salvation through Christ being buried, dead, raised again, 
to walk in that beautiful ordinance that sets it forth, buried with him by baptism into death and risen again in newness of life. And to submit to that, submitting, submit yourselves therefore to God. Before we leave this point, remember the previous verse, we read, He giveth more grace, he giveth grace unto the humble. We might see something that we really desire to be submissive to, and yet we struggle with it. We struggle to submit. Well, may this word be an encouragement to you and I to seek grace from the Lord to submit. And our prayer be, Lord, do give me submission. Do give me submissive grace. Do bow my heart. Make me willing. And you know many times in our lives will be that. We'll see what the Lord sets forth. We see what his will is for his people. We see what is the right way. But we have to ask the Lord, Lord, make me willing. Do give me grace to walk this out. And though I might be submissive outwardly, Lord, give me grace to submit with a right spirit in a right way. So this is the first exhortation here. Submit yourselves therefore to God. The second is a resistance of the devil. Resist the devil and there's a promise here and he will flee from you. Not because of any power in us or any ability in us but because of the authority that God has over him. Now I say here may we really believe that there is a devil. How easy it is to underestimate the adversary of the people of God. We cannot see him. But we're used to a lot of things we can't see and yet we fear and take precaution against, don't we? We had the coronavirus. We couldn't see it. We know the effect of it. If someone would come into the chapel and say, I've got coronavirus, I don't think we'd be rushing to shake hands or to get close to them. But you can't see the problem, but you understand it from its effects. There's so many things with God himself. He is a spirit. We cannot see him. One of the youth in the town some years back, they accosted me outside the chapel and said, do you believe in God? I said, most certainly I do. They said, why, you can't see him? And so I pointed to her phone that was in her hand. I said, you can't see the signal going to that, but you believe it's there, don't you? Oh, and we had them for an hour in the chapel talking to them and the things of God. But it is the, the thought, because you cannot see it, then it can't be real, can't be present. But the scriptures speak very clearly that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual wickedness in high places. The spirit and the devil is very, very real, very powerful, unseen. But we're told, as we read in Peter, who goeth about seeking whom he may devour. When we are in unregeneracy, as we're born into this world, Satan does not know who are the people of God and who are not. He does not know. He may suspect, and rightly, upon the word of God, that those are brought up under the sound of the truth, that they may well be, as the Lord has said, the promises unto you and your children, even as many as the Lord thy God shall call. But until 
they begin to show signs of interest, of prayer, of seeking, of concern for their soul, he doesn't know. But as soon as he sees those signs and he can he can read, he can notice, he can notice the difference that is made when one suddenly starts to have an interest in the things of God, they start to pray in their closet, they are concerned for their soul, they start reading of the things of God instead of going on everything else, he notices and he will then tempt, he'll lay his baits, he'll send his distractions, he'll do everything he can to turn aside that person from the right and good way. Remember with our Lord when he was baptised, he was driven by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. He had to, it had to be proved that the second Adam could stand the temptations that the first Adam fell under. And so the first Adam fell on what he could eat, what he shouldn't eat. So the first temptation, or the temptation after 40 days in the wilderness being tempted, the first recorded temptation, if thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. For a man that already had hungered 40 days, what a temptation that was. And the added thought that by doing so, I shall prove that I am the Son of God. But our Lord answered from the word of God, that man shall not live by bread only, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. So then Satan immediately turns and he starts to use the word of God to tempt the Lord. He do the same with us as well. Takes him up to the pinnacle of the temple. Cast thyself down from hither, for it is written, he shall give his angels charge over thee. They shall bear thee up in their arms, lest thou dash thy foot against a stone. And the Lord said, it is written again. He compares scripture with scripture. That's what I started to say before. You must compare scripture with scripture. The Lord said, written again, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And the Lord continued every time when Satan came to resist him and not go in the path he wanted him to go in. And he resisted him with the word of God. May we pray the Lord give us the spirit and may we remember the word of God and be brought back to our remembrance to be lifted up as a standard against Satan. He comes in many disguises. Peter says that uh, we are not ignorant of his devices as many devices and ways. But we must expect, we will expect that he comes with baits, you know, those that are expert in fishing, uh, if they're aiming for a certain type of fish, they know they've got to use the right type of bait. Those of you that are trying to catch a mouse in a shed will know that you can put some things on a trap and the mouse doesn't go for that at all. You put something else on and, and, and that'll work. And Satan knows, and every one of God's children is different. What will be a bait to one is not a bait to the other. He knows our frame. He suitably lays his baits and watch that we take it and go along with it. And so we are to take the whole armour of God fighting against him, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And prayer, how often, how often we neglect prayer. I say it of myself. We know formal prayer, but may we never think that prayer is not a powerful weapon. It is a powerful weapon. You think of uh, the next chapter in uh, James here, and we have uh, verse 17. Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are. He prayed earnestly that it might not rain. It rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. He prayed again and the heaven gave rain and the earth brought forth her fruit. How vital that in everything, by prayer and supplication, we make our requests known unto God. And especially in a dealing with temptation, 
Don't deal with it in our own strength. Don't resist in our own strength. It is to cry unto the Lord, to ask the Lord to help us, to lift up a standard against him, to give us grace, to give us the willingness, to give us the hatred for what he is tempting us to, and to give us the love of God and the love of the things that are pure and holy. Because whenever Satan comes, they're not pure, they're not holy, they're lies, they're deceits. But uh, prayer, prayer is a weapon for the feeble, weaker souls shall wield it best. So James has the exhortation here, and it's to a people that he's writing to that they have fightings among among them. They have many things, and even in prayer, they're asking but receiving not, because it's just to consume upon their own lusts. And yet, he points them to this path of grace, path of the blessing from God in submitting ourselves to God, resisting the devil with the promise that he shall flee from you. May the Lord use this word this afternoon. Maybe there's particular temptations that you're under now or that shall come in this next week and this word will be a word in season for you. Or maybe it's a path that is already set before you and you are not submitting to it. You will not submit to the Lord's hand, the Lord's providence. And sometimes these are they're, they're, they're hard things. We're taken by surprise with them sometimes. You think of Samuel when the Lord rejected Saul. And Samuel, he mourned for Saul every day. He found it a real hard thing to submit that the Lord had finished with Saul. He rejected him, cast him out. And you think, Samuel, why can't you just let this go? But he struggled with it. And then the Lord gave him to anoint David. And he went and anointed him. Sometimes these things catch us out. Things we never thought we'd struggle with things we thought we'd easily be able to submit to, and we can't. And we need to cry to the Lord and cry to grace that we bow before the hand of God. If ever Satan would get an advantage over us, it is when we are not submitting to the will of God because he'll bring in something else. And so the order here, very important. Submit yourselves therefore to God Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Just as closing, example that comes to mind with Cain and Abel. God was not pleased with Cain's sacrifice and Cain's face fell. The Lord said to him, If thou doest well, shall not thou be accepted? But rather than to submit, to God's way of a blood sacrifice instead of his way of the fruit of his hands from the field, he killed his brother. Sin lay at the door. What what are two ways? One submitting to the will of God. When he didn't submit to the will of God, it then ended up with him being a murderer and killing his brother. May the Lord give us grace to submit in all things. Amen.